So Money, episode 908, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everybody. Happy post 4th of July. You're probably off from work today. And if you're not, what are you doing? Go out there, have fun, relax, chill out. It's the summer. It's, you know, Independence Week. I'm uh, recording this from my house in Brooklyn. We did not go away this year for 4th of July. You know, it's a little tough traveling with a toddler and even with a five-year-old. I think uh, we're just... We're just homebodies a lot of these days. If we can avoid planes, trains, and automobiles, we will. We like walking, we like bussing, <laughs> strollering, and sometimes it's nice to be one of the few people left in New York City during a holiday weekend. And that's us right now. So we're looking forward to being able to get any seat we want at any restaurant outside, first on the swing set, first at the sprinklers, it's, uh, our little staycation. But we are planning a, a getaway later this month to uh, Martha's Vineyard, my first time, which is kind of weird since I grew up in New England, Massachusetts even. Uh, but this is my going to be my first time in Martha's Vineyard. And that's going to be a bit of a haul. So we're splitting up that trip because as some of you may know, there's a ferry involved. So we are going to drive and then stay overnight somewhere near there and then get up the next morning and drive to the ferry and then ferry and then, you know, the whole shebang. So I know that part of the fun is not the destination, it's the journey. But when you're a mom to two little ones, I'd say I look forward to that destination. This was a really cool week. We had some awesome guests on. On Monday, we had Samantha Razuk. Speaking of summertime, she is the creator of Mastermind of a camp called Curious Jane. And Curious Jane is a company that she developed during the recession, meant to be a camp for her two young daughters at the time and their friends. And it's evolved over the years into being much more than a camp, a magazine, a great destination for girls who want to learn about STEM. STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and math, right? To get that right? She came on the show to really talk about the journey behind the business and her personal perspectives about money, but we also spent a good bit of time talking about her divorce and how she and her now ex-husband managed the finances, managed the divorce, uh, kept it pretty friendly as much as they could and also saved a lot of money along the way. On Wednesday, we had Deborah Roberts on the show, who's the author of The Relationship Protocol. It's a a summary of her life's work, helping couples and individuals develop better relationships in their relationships, their personal relationships, but also their relationships at work. We spent a good chunk of time talking about the exact sentences we need to have when we're having money conversations with our partners, because oftentimes those conversations can go awry. If we don't come with the right set of communication skills, expectations, words matter. And Deborah gave us a lot of those tools on that episode. Definitely check that out. All right. Today we have your money questions. And for these, I'm heading over to Instagram mostly. By the way, I posted something pretty different on Instagram recently. I posted an excerpt, a clip from my recent appearance at Caroline's on Broadway. Some of you may know I'm a rookie stand-up comic. And 
it's been about a year since I took my very first stand-up comedy class. And that was, yeah, that was almost a year ago. So it's been a journey. I've performed a handful of times on pretty big stages and small stages. And this last clip that I posted was from May, just doing my thing on the stage and got I got a couple laughs. So if you want to see how my other life is, check out Instagram. And if you like it, I'll definitely share more. All right, question time. This one comes from Susanna. Hello, Susanna. She says, Farnoosh, I just opened a high-yield savings account at an online bank for my emergency fund. Right on. I chose the one with the highest APY since I could meet the account minimum. However, I realized it would also be smart to use high-yield savings accounts for annual expenses and my travel fund. But I can't meet the account minimum at my online bank, and my brick-and-mortar bank has a low APY. Should I change online banks to a lower APY, or can I open accounts at a third bank? Well, certainly you can open accounts at a third bank. You know, the issue with that is that it's another bank, and so it's one more bank to track. But I think that in this case, if you do want to get a high APY, no account minimum, and specifically to save for something a little bit long-term-ish, like a travel fund, it can't hurt to continue shopping around for another online bank that better meets your needs. I think for your annual expenses, though, are we talking about recurring expenses? I don't think that that should go into a high-yield savings account. I feel like that should go into a checking account. Uh, The reason you probably can't reach the minimum for that that account is because you're constantly deducting from it. That's my guess because bills are come up and maybe you're auto paying or you're just, you know, writing checks out of that account because these are categorically your annual expenses. I'm not sure. It sounds like these are just the totality of your annual expenses in one account. For that, I would be more concerned that it's somewhere that is not charging you fees, that is a bank where you're conveniently able to transfer cash. You're not getting charged for transfers. You know that there's a lot of ATMs around for this bank. Again, the fees can really add up, especially for an account that there's going to be a lot of activity within that account. If you're you know, accepting checks, if you're wiring money, if you're taking out money through an ATM, if you're with a bank that does charge fees here and there, that can certainly add up over the course of a month to like 20, 30, 40 plus dollars. I think that, can you open up a third bank? Sure. I think the bigger question is, are you going to be okay keeping tabs on that? Now, I like to look at everything in one snapshot. You know, I have a lot of different accounts. And for me, what's helpful is to be able to see them all in one place. So a place like mint.com, can be helpful for anyone out there that does have multiple accounts all over the place. And rather than having 18 windows open and having to log in every time with all these different passwords, have the one password via Mint or another dashboard that gives you a one-stop look at all of your accounts and the current balances and all of the things. So yeah, I think that in the pursuit of trying to make more money with your money, it's worth it to go the, a little bit of the extra mile to open up that third bank account. If, if it's because you can't meet the minimums elsewhere and the API, APYs at your bank aren't that attractive. Hope that was helpful. Next up is Fit Mom, Mrs. Okay, I'm going to botch this. Sejoviano. Maybe not. Maybe I got that right. A happily married, crossfitting, running, breastfeeding mommy, college-educated Latina, travel addict, wannabe photographer, mental health advocate, also, so money listener. So thanks for writing in. She says, I've been binging your podcast. 
Do you have an episode on the best ways to save for a child's college or future? My daughter is two and a half. I would like to start a savings account for her for college where people can put money in as well for birthdays instead of gifts. Wondering what the best account is to have. So yeah, I've had a number of conversations with guests where we touch on college savings. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head, but if you go to somoneypodcast.com and if you search 529, which is the name of the popular college savings plan. I'm sure you'll find those episodes. The 529 plan is what we have for our kids. A 529 is one of the most popular, if not the most popular college savings vehicles. It functions much like a mutual fund where you've got investments in there that are picked for you based on your time horizon. So if you've got a kid that's two and a half, you know, she probably won't be going to college for another 16, 15, 16 years. So that portfolio is going to keep that take that into account. It's not going to be as risky as, say, somebody who's going to have a kid that's going to go to college in like the next 25 years. Or it's going to be uh, perhaps a little bit more risky than a portfolio that's looking at college in the next five years. So the 529 plan is really designed to help you pay for qualified education expenses. That includes expenses at college. And this just in, this is pretty recent, 529 college savings plans, while they've traditionally been designed to help families pay for higher ed costs, i.e. college, under the new tax overhaul that happened at the end of 2017, parents can now withdraw up to $10,000 tax-free from a 529 plan each year to pay for private school tuition for kindergarten through 12th grade. So that's nice if that's something that you find yourself needing uh, if you need that money earlier than later, sooner than later, 529 plan is now a little bit more flexible. And you heard that right. The withdrawals are tax-free. So when you do go to withdraw this money for the purposes of paying for qualified higher ed, or in this case, K-12 through private school education, you don't have to pay taxes on those withdrawals. Now, I mentioned earlier that these are state-managed, state-run programs. Just because you live, say, in Iowa doesn't mean that you have to use your state's plan. You can get any state's plan. And I would recommend going to a site like savingforcollege.com. It's a great website, has all the breakdowns of 529 plans. You can search by state. You can look at other states' plans. Obviously, I live in New York. We have the New York 529 plan because we think that it's one of the best ones. And, And actually, for New York residents, New York offers a substantial tax deduction for residents who contribute to its 529 college savings program. So that's a perk. Not every state has this for its residents, but if you do have this advantage in your state, that's probably a good place to start and really consider opening one up there. And beauty of this is that your parents, your family, your friends can contribute. Some 529 plans have gifting platforms that allow for friends and family to make these deposits. Other plans will just accept gift contributions by check. So again, go to savingforcollege.com. That site has been around for a long time. I've been re- I've been referencing it for over a decade, and it just really has all of the A to Z when it comes to these plans. Another thing you might want to consider is a Roth IRA if you don't have one already. As we know, we talk about them a lot on the show, but a Roth IRA is really designed for the purposes of retirement 
where you contribute to this individual retirement account, much like a 529, the withdrawals in retirement can be done so tax-free. And some people like a Roth IRA for its flexibility in that if you do decide that you want to make an early withdrawal for the purposes of, say, college or higher ed, your after-tax contributions can be withdrawn at any time for any reason with no taxes or withdrawal penalties. So some people like that because it's kind of a two for one. You got this account, which yeah, you're hoping you won't have to tap until retiring. But if you do, you can take out your contributions at any time without a tax or withdrawal penalty. I don't know about grandparents contributing to your Roth IRA. I think that is a no-no. So something to consider if, if you're really wanting to go for a type of fund or savings vehicle that that allows for family contributions that a 529 might be the best way to go. All right, good luck to you and thanks for your question. All right, a question about how to prepare for an interview from Jacqueline on Instagram. She says, hey, Farnoosh, firstly, your podcast has broadened my perspective and understanding of personal finance in a way that is not intimidating. Well, then, I feel like my job is done here. (laughs) Thank you so much for that feedback. She says, I'm 23 years old. I graduated college in 2018 with an undergrad in computer information systems and an MBA. Whoa. It's incredible. Way to go. I went into a tech role at a financial company and quickly realized it was not for me at all. She's got at all in all caps. My interest in personal finance and planning has turned into a passion. Through networking at my company, I was able to job shadow in one of the company's investor centers, and I loved it. I was encouraged by the branch manager to interview interview for an entry-level opening in the company's financial consultant program. So I'm going for it. What advice do you have for interviewing in terms of how to market myself despite not having any of my financial licenses yet? Uh, She says, licenses are not required for the role. The company supports you through getting licensed, but candidates with their licenses have an advantage. And what strong questions can I ask in the interview to set me apart from other candidates? Well, firstly, I think that exhibiting your passion is not to be taken lightly. I think that very few people would say that they love personal finance. I mean, we all do, right? We're all <laughs> we're all in this so many community. So, excluding present company excluded, I think that we're in the minority, right? The most people are sort of in that camp of feeling intimidated like you mentioned earlier or feeling you know, just underwhelmed or bored by it, frankly. And so to say that at 23 years old, you have really been inspired and enlightened and and drawn to this, I think really says a lot. And I think that should be duly noted as you go in for this interview and maybe talking about the why behind why you do find this passion in this area? Is there a personal story? Is there a personal development that you went through, a financial development, a breakthrough that you can share? I think relatability is important because if you are going to be working in front of clients, with clients, at the end of the day, people want to work with people that they like, that they relate to, and you really want to showcase this to the best that you can to these hiring managers, right? And I think that basically just being yourself. It sounds like you're going to be a, a shining star for this for this job. I mean, you were recommended. So already you're ahead of it. Your resume is at the top of the pile. 
Now, the second part of your question is what questions can you ask to set yourself apart? I love where you're thinking. I love this is exactly how you should be preparing for an interview because sometimes the part of the interview where I've gotten stuck <laughs> is when the is when the employer is like, so do you have any questions for me or about us? And this is where you really have to do a little bit of homework because unless you got some great inspiration during the interview and then thought of some incredible questions on the spot, better to come with some prepared questions. And my advice is to first do some research on the company, see what they have done in this area, what sort of innovations have they done, what sort of -of out-of-the-box things have they performed, what are they trying to accomplish. Maybe there's been some news articles about them or just internally, maybe you could find some employees who can talk a little bit about like the goings-on within this department and some of the initiatives that they have. So you go to this meeting already kind of understanding what their hopes, dreams, goals, missions are and then kind of play off of that and ask about what they find has been working for them as they try to perhaps cater to a wider audience. Because as we know, right, women and millennials are the future (laughs) and Gen Y and Gen Z are the future. So women Um, It's no secret. They hold the purse. They are the breadwinners increasingly. They are the ones that are going to college at a faster clip, getting those college degrees. So they are really going to be in a a position also on the receiving end of this massive transference of wealth, billions, trillions of dollars. So what are we doing as a company to address this, to welcome this, to service this? What have, you know, maybe you could say like, I noticed you did this project or I noticed you, you did this offsite or I saw that you did this community initiative, uh, I thought that was really exciting. Are there more plans for this? Because this is an area that I'm particularly passionate about. So what you're basically demonstrating by asking this question is, one, you've done some research on the company. Two, you understand what their goals, values, missions are. Three, you are interested in investing in that goal, value, mission that you're asking about next steps with this and how you can get involved. And maybe if you really want to drive this home, propose some ideas, you know, so you turn this question really into an opportunity for you to talk about how you might be able to implement some new projects, ideas that you have in mind for for benefiting ultimately their bottom line, you know, but maybe packaging it in a way as, you know, how we can service our customer, our clients better, how we can attract new clients, how we can attract more, say, women, if that's important to them. I think that is important to a lot of financial institutions and a lot of financial departments within companies. So this is where I think you can really shine. Just takes a little bit of time going through some article clippings, talking to maybe some people you know who work there internally, getting the down low. I'm not worried about you. I'm not worried about you, Jacqueline. I hope I'm saying your name correctly or Jacqueline, uh, but I really appreciate this question. I love that you're just 23 and so ahead of it and so bright. Thank you for being in the audience and tell us how it goes. Y'all never let me know how the, the things go. I give you the advice and then I never hear back. So would love to know the follow-up to this, what happens, and maybe we can help you get to the next stage. All right, good luck. All right, a belated response to Michelle on Facebook. You know, to be totally honest, I don't really check Facebook that much right now. Although the one thing I'm really excited about on Facebook is I have opened up my When She Makes More group to the public. So I started this When She Makes More Facebook group 
five years ago when I first launched the book, mainly as a place where everybody who was supporting me could find updates and news related to the book. But really what I'm finding is that more people need a place to gather to talk about what it's like to be the breadwinner, the female breadwinner in the relationship that you're in. Or maybe I'm married to a woman who's a breadwinner and I want to talk about it and I want to find like people who have similar experiences or who can give me some resources, tips, advice. And so if you are in that camp of being a female breadwinner or someone who loves a female breadwinner, join us at When She Makes More on Facebook. It's just facebook.com slash when she makes more. I think you have to ask to join. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll approve it right away because we're good like that. And hopefully it's a place where we can all grow and um, learn from one another. So that's what I'm excited about on Facebook. But Michelle on Facebook, so sorry you wrote in May and I'm just getting to this question. But she says, hey, Farnoosh, I want to remodel our kitchen and I decided to get a HELOC with a one-year fixed rate at 3.45% for $150,000. But now I'm wondering if that was a good idea. We haven't started the remodel yet, but we're tempted to pay off the whole thing and delay the remodel instead. What do you think? And then I had a follow-up question. We've been chatting a little bit on Facebook, Michelle and I, and I said, so I just want to know what happens after the year is, is after the year expires with the HELOC? Does the rate, you know, skyrocket after that? She says that after one year, she'd have to reapply for a new rate. Her only really big debt right now is her mortgage. And she doesn't really like the idea of having another loan, but it seems that this is the only way she'll be able to remodel the kitchen. She's worried about a recession too. And so another reason to have a doubt about having you know, a HELOC, when is it financially a good time to remodel and what loan options are best? So here's the thing about a home equity line of credit, Michelle. It's a line of credit. So it's technically alone, but only until you start to use it, only until you start to withdraw from the line of credit. It's really just a big line of credit, like a credit card, right? So, you know, we have credit cards in our wallets. If we're not using them, we're not technically in debt. We're not technically borrowing anything. So I think I just want to clarify that because it sounds like you are worried about something that really you shouldn't be worried about, you know, that you can take out this HELOC, It will do no harm to you from a financial standpoint until you start withdrawing from it, and then you'll have to start repaying it, just like you would a credit card. You'll have a minimum that you have to pay every month, depending on how much you withdrew from the HELOC. It's going to be based on this interest rate. I think that 3.45% is really great if you were to have to borrow to get money to do this renovation, I don't know if you're going to get something lower than 3.45%, frankly. So first things first, think about as far as the remodel goes, what is the priority? And also think strategically, will this actually benefit the value of our home? Will our home appreciate? It's never a perfect time to renovate. You know, I think that there's always perhaps other ways you could use this money. I like to think of it as an investment. It's an investment in your happiness in this home, and it's an investment in hopefully the appreciation, the value of this home. I would try to make sure that if you're going to use this HELOC, that you use it within that year because 
you know, you don't want to be in the middle of a renovation and then have to reapply to get a new interest rate. And then you don't even know what that interest rate is going to be. So timing is really important. If you're going to do this, I will say that uh, contractors, builders, plumbers, all the people who work on home renovations tend to be busier in the summer. And in the spring, when the weather's nice, in the cold winter, you might be able to get better deals. You might be able to hire people that would normally be busy. So something to keep in mind, if this is a project that you can condense within a few months over the fall, winter, then you might want to strike then just because you might have a better chance of getting people to work with you within your budget. And we're just going back to that first thing, you know, don't worry about this HELOC impacting your finances. It's only really going to be a thing once you withdraw from it and then you have to pay it back. You know, again, monthly payments. It's not going to all be owed back right away. If you take out $10,000 out of this $150,000 line of credit, you have to pay back that $10,000 over time. Certainly, you can pay it off right away and avoid the interest burden. But again, the interest seems to be pretty low. Um, in the grand scheme of things, I think that it's okay if you want to pay this off, you know, little by little over the course of the year. But I think if you want to do this and you, it will make you happier, you can make back those payments within the year after withdrawing whatever you need to withdraw from the HELOC. And this could maybe as a bonus add some value to your home, update it, make it a little bit more attractive. If down the road you do want to sell it, not a bad time to go for it. All right. Good luck to you. And that, my friends, is our Friday, July 5th, Ask Farnoosh. Thank you for listening. And again, I hope you're having a really fun time. I hope you were able to take some time off from work and enjoy the summer holiday. As a reminder, if you have questions for me, it's really easy to get in touch. There's a few ways. You can go to Instagram, send me a direct message with your question. Keep them relatively short, you know, really long questions. I won't have time to get to. And then to have to read that on the show, it's a lot for listeners to pay attention to. So just keep that in mind. I know that personal finance is personal and there's a lot of backstory and context and numbers, but if you can just maybe cut to the chase a little bit as you ask questions, that would be helpful. So direct message on Instagram. You can go to somoneypodcast.com, click on Ask Farnoosh and leave me your question there. And you can also email me farnoosh at farnoosh.tv. Have a great rest of your weekend, everybody. And I hope your weekend is so money. Money.